Hi, I'm Iris Muller. I'm a certified rehabilitation counselor and a proud mom of two children, one of whom has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. And I'm Alma Schneider, a licensed clinical social worker and the proud mom of four children, one of whom has Prader-Willi syndrome. In this podcast, we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. This is Two Moms No Fluff. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Two Moms No Fluff, where we discuss all things related to raising children with disabilities. I'm Alma Schneider, and I'm here with my lovely friend and partner, Iris Meller, and uh, we're just going to jump right in today. We have a hot, hot and very useful topic for you. Alma, thank you for the introduction. So happy to be here with you once again, and today we want to discuss finding motivation. And finding motivation for parents of children with disabilities is really hard sometimes. We have endless uh, care tasks that don't have a, an end date to them in sight. And the day seems sometimes very, very long and very, very overwhelming. And sometimes our children don't have any progress kind of to show for all the efforts, time and uh, attention that we put into their rehabilitation plan. And we know how frustrating this can be and how demotivating it is sometimes. So today we wanted to have an honest discussion about that phenomena and I'll let Alma begin. Okay, um, I wanna start off with what we're trying to avoid. And then we're gonna talk about the strategies to avoid what's called as blocked care or blocked parenting. Blocked care or parenting is a state parents can enter when prolonged stress suppresses their capacity to sustain loving and empathic feelings toward their child. Okay, I'm going to repeat that. Blocked care or parenting is a state that parents can enter when prolonged stress suppresses their capacity to sustain loving and empathic feelings toward their child. So in other words, it's basically when you're like, I don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> I've had it. And that can be a very dangerous place to be emotionally and practically. And um, I also want to add that it is extremely normal. Okay. It is sort of, I guess, our way of uh, not losing our minds. Um, and, but it's, but it can cause a lot of issues because it means that we don't, we just don't care anymore. So we may not be as vigilant as we need to be. We may not be as kind or as understanding to our kids as we need to be. That being said, it's a normal state, but we have to identify it and acknowledge it and work hard. You know, this is our plight. We have to work hard to combat blocked parenting so that we can be present for our children. So, um, there are a lot of things that can lead to block parenting. Uh, if you think about your own life, I can I can start off with a, a story of mine when my son was first born. Uh, there was um, so much stress, so much stress because it was all brand new. So not only did I have the emotional stress of dealing with, oh my God, my kid is going to have a lifelong disability. I have forever altered the dynamics of our family. Um, and at that point, I was like in a very negative way. 
And I also felt that, um, not felt, I had to experience tons of new practical tasks that I had to take on that I'd never done before that were not natural seeming to me. I had to pump breast milk five times a day. I had to feed my son through a feeding tube. Um, and these were all things that kind of kept me at a distance from my son uh, emotionally. So bonding was extremely difficult. So it wasn't that I wasn't doing all of the things that I needed to do, but I definitely had a form of blocked parenting in the sense that I did not feel uh, close to him or bonded. So it's not exactly blocked parenting, but I didn't feel a bond. And it kept me, all of those things together kept me from feeling a bond. Uh, and so one of the things that I learned to combat that was to go to therapy. I had a therapist that I talked about all these things with. I had, um, I didn't have that many friends to talk about it with because they weren't experiencing this with their own children. But I talked to the people who, you know, were helpful and kind, who were my friends, even though they didn't exactly understand it. But going to therapy was a huge um, thing that I had to do to, number one, the main thing was to acknowledge that this was a natural feeling not to feel bonded uh, because of all these stressors and fears that I had. That was number one, because if we're also feeling guilt and shame around not feeling connected, that's going to make our load even heavier and harder to, to work with. We have to, we have to know that it's okay, that this is normal and we need to work on fixing it. Yeah. I, I, um, I so uh, feel for you every time I, I hear that because um, this is a narrative that comes uh, again and again in stories and interactions that I have with other parents, especially with babies that are uh, medically complex and that uh, have um, a lot of kind of equipment and uh, medical care that they need in the first few months. Mm -hmm. I find that so many times the care for the baby becomes so instrumental in the sense that it's a, a application of a medication and a, a source, different types of therapies and the equipment that needs to be monitored at all times mm -hmm. that the parents also almost like don't see the baby, the child that is a, in care, it's just a bunch of medical equipment that needs to be monitored at all yes. times that is connected to that child. And something that adds to that, in my opinion, is also the, the way that the medical establishment <clears throat> is relating to the children and the babies at that uh, stage. It's almost uh, showing the parents all the time what is not working correctly uh, with the child and what needs to be supervised and, and don't invite the parents or allow the space for attachment. Uh, sometimes it's as simple as taking a, a baby out of an incubator and having that skin to skin contact because the baby is attached to so many things, the parents avoid touching it or moving it and not, let alone taking it outside of the incubator and, and holding it uh, skin to skin. So these, these are situations that uh, really kind of keep us in a way distant from our own babies. And um, it has a price, it has a price, an emotional price, both for the, the baby and for the parent, especially the mother. Um, I want to say that um, what you mentioned about uh, blocked care and blocked parenting, 
this is something that um, we all uh, kind of in the spectrum of parenting behaviors, we all regress to sometimes when our children, even typical children, exhibit challenging behaviors. So there is a, a time and place for each reaction. But most of the time when you're in public and your child exhibit one of their you know, most challenging behaviors, but you're being watched, you kind of regress to that blocked parenting uh, mode in which you are trying to stop the behavior. You're not there observing your child. You're not evaluating their emotional state and why this behavior even happened. You're just embarrassed as a parent and you're trying to stop it right there. And then um, obviously um, we, we all have some familiarity with being in that space, but for some families, for some parents, some with some children, this is an ongoing thing that, uh, you know, they're almost being pushed to that corner uh, because of the disability and the way it manifests itself. Mm -hmm. for, for those parents, I, I do see that sometimes the strategy is to avoid situations and avoiding situations that can trigger the child, avoid, makes them kind of um, be free of being pushed to that corner of that yeah. blocked parenting pattern. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely true. And um, it's really important that we, you know, I, I'm being reminded of, of a post that we just put on our Instagram page, which said when the next time you use the term that your child is uh, uh, seeking attention, is attention seeking, change the words to seeking connection. Because uh, a lot of children are very provocative, um, including yours truly's child, can be very provocative and uh, say, you know, mortifying things to people, uh, to their peers in order to, uh, you know, it's e very easy to look at it as, you know, this kid is a pain in the butt. I cannot believe he did this again. I can't believe she's acting this way again. That's why she has no friends. If we make the, and that can result in being angry at your child and feeling like, I can't take this anymore. This kid, all this kid does is cause me trouble with other families, with school. Um, if you think about it in terms of this child is seeking connection, not attention by being provocative, but seeking connection. That's all everybody wants. We want to be connected to each other and we want people to be kind to us and include us. So imagine if um, you don't have the cognitive tools or the you know emotional, social emotional tools to say, you know, I really wish that I could play with you. Um, they're going to do whatever they can to get your attention so that you'll connect with them. So if we really think about it in that way and work, not only understand it that way, but uh, employ strategies, implement strategies at school and at home for play dates and, and elsewhere, um, when a child starts being provocative, to focus on how can we make this child, you know, feel connected to other people. And most times that child will stop. If they feel included and connected, um, as opposed to being scolded or punished, um, that rarely works, as we all know, that kind of uh, punitive, you know, consequence to behaviors. It's really about rewarding positive behavior. So those are things to, um, to address issues that might make you feel like, oh my God, this kid, get this kid, you know, out of my hair. I can't deal with this kid anymore. I don't have any, I don't care that the kid's crying because he caused this or she caused this. 
it's important to think why, and it's hard. I'm, I'm saying this, you know, as though it's the simplest thing in the world. It's really hard. And we have to be the adults here. We're the parents. This child was brought into this world because we brought them in. So uh, it's important that we take on that responsibility and act like the adult who is uh, is better capable of understanding the situation and, and working on changing it. So that's the onus is on us for that. And it is really hard. And that doesn't mean you can't vent to your friends and your therapist and your family members, but the venting also has to um, go alongside making some changes in that yeah. child environment. This is um, the behavior side. I also want to bring the other sides of like <laughs> when things don't don't progress the way that we want them to. Mm -hmm. uh, for those who did not listen to the very interesting episode we recorded with uh, Megan Bates about uh, type 1 diabetes, uh, I remember that uh, for many parents in the early stages when their children are first diagnosed with uh, type 1, they make such a huge effort, like learning how to control insulin levels and to make sure that the blood sugar level is stabilized, but the kids are growing and playing and, and all of that. And it seems like all that work and there's never a plateau in, in a day, which can be very frustrating on parents with, uh, with children with um, kind of other challenges in de development when they're working so hard to execute the uh, rehabilitation plan they have like in our case we had hours on end of a uh, reflex integration and uh, Feldenkrais and we did so many kind of uh, stretching and uh, using a variety of uh, durable medical equipment pieces to help our daughter kind of progress and when nothing happens you feel like you yourself failed and in that void of people kind of asking you how is your child doing and you can't honestly say they're doing well because you don't control the medical situation or you don't control the progress or there is no progress. This is so demotivating sometimes. And as a parent, I think that many, many of us feel like, okay, I am failing here because I, I am not doing what is maybe expected from me as a parent. And in that uh, time, I think that the only way to find motivation is to know that by doing the steps that you're supposed to take to keep your child well and healthy, you have succeeded. If you're able to provide your child what they need on a day-to-day -day basis, it is a victory by itself. And it is a very hard time, a hard job, and many times a job that is meant for more than one person. But with our lack of support mechanism for parents of children with disabilities, we're many times thrown to be responsible on our own to a job that three people should have shared together. Mm -hmm. um, I want I want you to know that if you are able to keep your child well, alive, and healthy, you have succeeded. And everything else later on is a bonus. And the fact that you can uh, survive the day-to-day -day is a huge achievement by itself. Yeah. And along those lines, um, you're absolutely right. I, I want to add that what you're saying is so true, and it can be really hard to boost yourself up all the time to remember that. 
So it is vitally important that you surround yourself with people who remind you of that. So what Iris just said, if you don't have anybody in your life to remind you and lift you up, remember what Iris is saying. She's telling you that what you're doing is huge and it needs to be acknowledged and appreciated. And I'll tell you, one of the, one of the um, most uh, touching things that my husband ever did for me was he, when I stopped pumping for all those, I pumped for over a year to have breast milk in my son's feeding tube. And he got me a present. Uh, after I finished, he got me, he got me a pair of uh, earrings, like really nice earrings to acknowledge that I had done this incredible feat. And it really was an incredible feat for all of you who are, you know, just keeping your baby alive. Uh, it, it's a huge feat. And I wanted to make sure that the baby had breast milk. It's not possible for everyone to do, but I was, you know, able to only with the support of, I was able to afford an au pair. You know, I've mentioned this in other episodes to watch my other kids so that I could pump. It took a lot of time and I couldn't run around after my other kids while this, while I was pumping and to feed him through the tube. I needed the support um, of everyone around me saying, you're doing great, you know, keep it up. This is going to be healthy for the kid. Uh, that allowed me to really acknowledge that I'm, I am doing something that's really important. I didn't have to just tell myself that, that other people were supporting me. And I do want to say that I had, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this in a, in an episode before, but uh, because I had the support and was able to accomplish this, and I was told by people like, it's really great that you're doing this, keep it up. You know, you're really helping your son by doing this. I had a party for myself. Did I ever mention this? No, that's amazing. I had a, I had a party for myself um, with the friends who had been very helpful to me at the beginning of this journey. I had uh, a party at a bar where I paid for everybody's booze because now I could drink because even though I didn't really drink much, but they drank because I couldn't, you know, <laughs> drink and pump the milk. Um, I had a party for myself where I sent an invitation via email to all these people with a picture of a woman with incredibly saggy boobs from, uh, from, uh, if you remember the movie, uh, something about Mary. There's a very funny uh, scene about an older woman. And I sent a very funny uh, invite to everybody saying, I'm like, I'm done pumping. I'm having an end of pumping party. And I brought all my friends together and I thanked them all for their support. This party was really for them also to thank them for their support in allowing me to be able to do this, to, to, for supporting me to, to do that. So I couldn't have done I couldn't have thanked them for the support that they gave me if I hadn't been given the support initially from them and from my family members. So, so important to have that pat on your back about what you're doing from yourself and from other people, but you need to find those people. And if you don't have them in your life, you need to find them. You need to go on support groups online um, and elsewhere to, to, to be in it with other people, with community. That's such a good point, Alma. And uh, I can't believe I didn't know about that party. Oh my gosh. 
didn't know you back then. I know. <laughs> what, and I don't drink, so I didn't miss anything. It's okay. Some people just came to the party. <laughs> Great company. But uh, yes, the path in the back is something very, very important. And parents of kids with disabilities, they work so hard and, and society is never there to give us the pat on the back that we need. Some people here like climb the Himalaya on, the day, on a daily basis and they don't get a gold medal afterwards or any recognition. So what I want to say is we need to create that for ourselves. And uh, for example, uh, something very small, but uh, important to me on times that my husband goes on a business trip, uh, th this is like uh, the, the years that we didn't have 24-7 care for care, and that was like exhausting beyond recognition. It was so, so hard every time he went on a business trip. And slowly, we kind of, uh, I developed this uh, habit that when he's away, I am ordering in dinner, and I then don't need to cook. Uh, the dishes are like less than half, right? It's like only a couple of plates that I need to wash. And, and not only someone else cooks, I would order the food that I loved. So I would order sushi or whatever, Chinese food, whatever it is that I felt like that was a way for me to kind of spoil myself. And um, at, at the beginning, I was still under the notion that we can't spend money. This is too much. This is, uh, uh, how do you say, beyond our budget. We shouldn't do things like that. But the benefit of spoiling myself like this it was so huge. It really helped me survive him being away and, and all the other tasks around the house. It simplified so many things, the shopping, the preparation time, the uh, clean after, and just the overall kind of feel good. Also for my children that they knew that something special is coming at the end of the day. So um highly recommend find the thing that would keep you going, uh, whatever your situation is and what whatever you're struggling with. But if you can give yourself that pat on the back in whatever form it is, mm -hmm. it would be great. And then I want to mention something else about finding motivation. Life is kind of almost like the sea, I would say. There is waves that they come and go and come and go. And sometimes you just need to accept that you're in a low point and you need to take a deep breath and just dive under the wave and know that you will come up the other way and things would look easier. And for now, everything looks very gloomy and uh, there is, seems like there is no hope and uh, things do not progress and you are barely surviving your day to day. But I promise you, there will be other days, better days, easier days. It's, it's just like a... In the way of life it's not like a plateau that we go through things there's ups and downs and you need to maybe learn how to ride the wave even if it's hard and uh, and let it pass and that's also normal yeah i think that's an excellent point i i often refer to it as you know this journey is uh, there it's a chronic condition it's not each situation is you know oh we've cured that problem of this disability life we have to know and really know that things are going to keep happening you know it's it's it, we don't want to be in denial about that things are going to keep happening and if we acknowledge that um then when we're at those low points we'll be able to remember that you know oh yeah this is one of those you know it's definitely i haven't had a low point in a while this is great and to appreciate it when things are going well 
Um, I think a good strategy for that is to uh, keep a journal. I know that's like, you know, might be really hard for people. And, you know, I, it's something that I mean to do and I, I don't. Um, but I think it's a really important uh, thing to do to show yourself like today was a great day. Like we did this, we did that. Things were great. And then when something really bad happens, we can go back to those pages, something visual, something tangible that we can say, okay, a week ago, I had a great day that, you know, that that's going to happen again. And this is, um, you know, it, it's important to really take advantage of things when things are going well to like, if you're having an easy phase of whatever is going on in your life, go do something fun, like really make an effort to travel, like go away for the weekend. If you have someone to watch your child or do it when you're not in the throes of it to make an effort to go and do something really fun so that you can you're taking advantage, knowing that the shit will hit the fan eventually again, because it just will, because that's a part of our life, but to take advantage when things are good so that you can really, you know, we have to, we have to get it while we can. And we have to be proactive about that. We really do. And God forbid, if something happens, if you make a plan and then the shit has hit the fan, then you can cancel it, but you can't live your life saying, oh, I can't do that because this might happen because it's happened before as much as you can get out and, and do other things. And um, that's separately from your child. But something that's really important to do to avoid blocked parenting and to feel connected to your child and, and uh, feel good about them is to do things with them that they really enjoy when they're in a good mood and really make an effort to to find a time when you in an environment where there's the least likelihood of a behavioral issue or a physical problem and spend that positive quality time with your kid because the more of those that we all have, the more connected we will feel to, towards our child and the more internal resources we'll have to be able to deal with the child when those really horrible things happen, whether they're behavioral issues or medical problems or anything else. We'll have, you know, filled ourselves up with enough positive experiences that they'll leak into those negative experiences. So we'll feel better about them. Uh, that's such a good point. I, uh, I really uh, believe in that too. Uh, that's, uh, that's a good one, Alma. And uh, we've, we've used that technique many, many times and it's really helpful. Good. I think that um, when things are really, really rough, a thing that I like to do is to find the positives still in a day. And sometimes it's easy to, to find the positives. Uh, I don't know, uh, we went to through meals, to, we went through two meals already today and there was no vomiting, something like that. Mm -hmm. Or um, in other cases, it can be at least we made it on time to all our appointments. Uh, but if you're really, really desperate, I like to think about it uh, in this way. Like there is no war in the uh, state at the moment. <laughs> like we are yeah. safe. Physically. Such an Israeli. Such yes. an Israeli. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we, we have uh, obviously for the people in the Ukraine, this is not going to be helpful right now. But... Um, the the thing is that uh, 
our house is safe, we do have food, I have air conditioning, little things like that, that really do make a difference. Think about it to the degree that it's like, we have clean drinking water. How would my day look like if I didn't have clean drinking water? And think about those things and you would slowly find that you are not as miserable as it feels. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I like to do is to find someone else that needs help. And then it helps me take myself out of that victim kind of place where I'm just like, life is so unfair. Why is this all happening to me, etc.? And to be in a position that I'm providing help to someone else. And it doesn't need to be anything physical, although it can be if you're, let's say, baking cookies, uh, share half with your neighbor. But mm -hmm. it can just be like calling another friend that had I don't know, something that uh, was going on in her or his life and checking in on them and being there to listen to them without mentioning how crappy your own day is. Yeah. And that really, really helps elevate my spirit. Uh, I hope it helps others as well because that's spreading the good. Yeah, it's and that is such a useful tool to, yeah, to, to, get, to get out of your own head your own life and it's funny you're reminding me that recently I spoke with a woman who I had kind of talked off the ledge a little bit uh when she uh you know first had her child diagnosed and she was in such a bad way and she was very appreciative that I was taking the time to talk to her you know about all the things that I had been through so to let her know she wasn't alone and she said to me um she said I have to tell you that recently somebody put somebody in touch with me and I was actually the one who helped. And I remember you telling me that, like I had said to her one day, don't worry, one day you will be doing this for someone else. And she said, it actually happened. And it was yeah. and it felt really good to not be the victim and to be, you know, the person, not the victim, but the recipient of who really needed the help that she was able to provide this help for someone else and it made her feel, you know, really good. So that is helping others, you know, is the, for me, that is the number one thing. And I really, um, I get so much joy out of helping other people to relieve their pain. You know, it's, it's so helpful to me to be able to do that because it also helps me feel like I'm not alone. You know, I'm helping someone else who's, you know, feeling the same things that I felt. And it, it really does help you kind of get centered again and grounded. Awesome. So uh, I think we have probably a lot more to say about this topic, but uh, in consideration of time, <laughs> I think we should end here. We would love to hear from all of our listeners. What do you do to find motivation to avoid block parenting and to just enjoy your life as is with all the challenges that are involved? Uh, positive stories, negative stories. We love them all. Please do share with us. And also don't forget to like the podcast and give us five-star ratings. This really helps push the podcast to the people that really need to hear it. So thank you again for being with us. Alma, do you have anything to say as we part just, ways? Just keep, keep on chugging. You're not alone. We're with yeah. you. And so are a lot of other people. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. We'll see you next week. For more information, please go to www.twomomsnofluff.com. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating so more people can hear it. Thank you.